welcome back to the Habs Puck Drop Podcast. This is going to be the fourth of five installments of the Player Report Card series. For those who have never heard our Report Card series, you can check back to the last few episodes and that'll kind of give you an idea of how this works, but I think we'll jump right in. So um, our first player with a C grade overall is going to be Arturi Lekanen. Um, this is actually dropping from a B- minus from the 2019-2020 season. Um, offensively, he dropped from a C-plus to a C. More specifically, his goals stayed the same at a B score. Um, that's .19 goals per game, down to .15, so it's not really a significant uh, change. Uh, his assists dropped a little bit. That's a C to a D-plus. That's .2 down to .13 assists per game. And his points overall dropped from a C-plus to a C-minus, .39 down to .28. Um, yeah, we'll finish off the player, then we'll kind of just talk yeah. about, uh, you know, our, our, yeah, we'll do our, our, our analysis. Yeah. yeah. Um, defensively, Arturi Lekkonen dropped from a B to a C. Um, his hits went from a B plus to a B. That's 1.71, uh, hits per game, but it did increase to 1.81 hits per game. Um, it's a very common theme we've seen basically across all the players. Yeah, so um, again, like what that means is that the, the team hit more on average. Yeah. So even though he increased, he didn't increase at the rate that the team increased, so his grade still goes down because exactly. it's all relative to their teammates. That's it. His uh, blocks per game went from a C-plus to a C. That's 0.54 to 0.49, really just like a very small change. And this is, this is an interesting Huge. one. His takeaways went from a B to an F, so that's a .43 all the way down to .06. I think we should start there. Yeah, I want to work our way back up. That was like the most surprising to me. I mean, like that didn't—it didn't feel that way during the season. If anything, it looked like he had a better defensive year. Um, you know, I, I think across the board, you know, looking back at previous report cards, our defensive stats have suffered, and and I think like. Um, you know, early on in the season, especially when we were producing a lot of offense, maybe defense took a bit of a backseat, and maybe that trailed through the season a little bit. But I by no means thought that, you know, for Deno or for Lekin that these were bad defensive, uh, bad defensive year, but apparently it wasn't great. And especially with Lekin, looking at these takeaways, I mean, 0.06 takeaways per game, that's very, very low. And, and again, you have the kind of the Philip Deno effect where, you know, most of this guy's ice time is on the penalty kill. Mm-hmm. And realistically, you're going to obviously get less takeaways on the penalty kill than you are going to five on five just yeah. because they're cycling the puck around you. And the time you are on the ice, it's very rare that you're actually going to get it taken away when you're a man down, right? But still, it's, it's, it is low. And it is a drop because yeah, he had a similar a role as last year. That, that's it. It's, you know, he the, the thing for me, and I think it's, it's important to at least mention, is that this was a year where... Um, stats were inflated and inflation can go both ways when you're talking about stats so if you don't do something it's gonna pop up and if you do something uh, you know above average it's going to be very much above average i think one thing we we need to give lekanen credit for in terms of at least why such a significant drop happened was where was he playing for the most part of the year if you can even remember for the most part of the year he's playing fourth line exactly and the fourth line wasn't a defensive fourth line anymore. If you really yeah, think about it, it was it was a grindy chip, you know, uh, dump and chase. I mean, his goal scoring went basically stayed the same, and like we said, his assists dropped a little. I mean, he's never been like the offensive powerhouse 
of the team. But the big thing for me is that if you look at the hits going up and the takeaways going down, to me, I just I picture that ch- like dump and chase, and it just it makes perfect yeah. sense. You're not going to get these takeaways versus the year before. He was playing a good portion of the time with Deno and Gallagher when Tatar would be out. Yeah. That's a they get tra- a complete trap baseline. Tatar, Deno, Gallagher play a trap almost as well as anyone in the league, and when you insert Lekkanen into there. It, it just it, it blew up right away. If you remember to going to the playoffs, the bubble, there was Deno, Byron, Lekkanen, like very, very defensive heavy line. And so I think what happened is with the other players who kind of stepped up and not so much found a role but found a style, I think he ended up suffering a little bit based off of the fact that he once again ended up kind of being bounced around for a little yeah. while. I uh, yeah. found a home, like, on the third line for a while, but there were also nights where he just I, didn't play. I think his home, realistically, was in the playoffs where we saw his best hockey, and it was Dano gallagher Lekkinen. I right. think that was, like, you know, the best line I think we've ever seen him on. And, and, you know, just to go back and add another contributor to this that I think can explain a lot of the defensive stats from our defensive players going down this year, like the Denos. Uh, you know, you can even throw in the Army as definitely the Byrons uh, and Lekkinen as well is... You know, we took a lot of penalties this year. So even yeah. though he's playing a similar role that he did last year, last year he wasn't doing as many penalty kills as he was this year. Uh, so that's just more time where he's not getting takeaways. Because if he got a takeaway, then that's you know a breakdown of the other team's power play, which is you know that's the point of the penalty kill. But I'm just saying it's far less common than on a five-on-five game. I agree, and I think with Lekkinen, um it's also just important in general to note that he is someone who you know it's, it's really his intangibles. And this is proof of it. He's one of the few players who we re-signed. And even though we got a bit of a pay cut from him, um, all series this, winners a that's lot. That's the thing. Right? And, all this, and all this stats dropped, yet he got a new contract. Versus a player like Dano, who a lot of his stats dropped, but some went up, and he didn't get a new yeah. contract. It's because of that X. Player, so. And it's just overall the X factor yeah. that, that he brings. It's he, sure. he's, you can't quantify energy yeah, exactly. on the ice. And so he's just someone who... Very similar to Gallagher. If he's working hard, you're just you you want to work hard. Yeah, exactly. He's a he's a he's a great energy guy, great locker room guy. He loves this team, obviously, and you know he won us the Vegas series. Yep. At the very end there, and then you know I, I if I'm remembering correctly, last year against Pittsburgh as well, he, he won he the, the Pittsburgh series. Yeah, he won the Pittsburgh series. So he just he plays when we need him to play, and like he never shies down from a fight. And I cool. think those yeah. are stuff that's. Those are intangibles that just, you know, obviously by definition don't show up on the stat sheet, and that's why we love them. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah that's a good summary. Um, so yeah, we'll jump right next to the next player, another C overall. So dropping from a C plus to a C is Ben Sherratt. Um, this is going to spark an interesting discussion here. But so offensively, he drops from a C to a D. Now before I even read this, I think it was expected. He had a career year. Yeah. The previous year with Montreal, so I, you know. I don't think he was magically, you know, all of a sudden find his defense, mm-hmm. uh, his offense. Yeah, right? So his goals per game dropped from a C to a D. That's point thirteen down to point oh two goals per game. His assists from a C minus to a D, which is point seventeen, just barely down to point fifteen. And overall, his points from a C minus to a D minus, so point thirty, almost getting cut in half to point uh, seventeen. Yeah. Basically, kind of just coming back down to earth a little. Um, no, but yeah. <laughs> realistically, no, I, I for, for his year, stats, it was, last year was the outlier. Yeah, I think last year, a goal late finish, defensive stuff here in a sec, but just the, 
I remember last year there came a certain point, I think it was around the December mark, where, like, all of a sudden this guy found out that he has a slap shot, and, like, yeah. every single game we were seeing, like, his, his beams from the point, and, you know, just... He took a lot of shots and a lot went in, and I, I think this year it was a little. He was a little bit more pulled back. Yeah, I, I agree, and I think that's going to show up too here. So defensively, he dropped from a B to a B minus. Um, his hits per game went from an A minus down to a B minus, and they did drop from a two point two hits per game to one point eight eight. Um, his blocks stayed an A, but they did drop a little bit from a one point eight six down to one point four six, and then his takeaways actually, while decreasing from. 0.26 down to 0.22 takeaways per game. They did increase from a D to a C minus. So, and we're gonna have to reiterate this with each player, but obviously that shows where the team was strong or where they kind of suffered. Um, the big thing for me is that I think the I just want to start with the defensive side here. Um, I think this showed that he had to cover Weber a little bit more this year, and then when he wasn't playing with Weber, he really had to kind of um, not not kind of like make it up, but you know, if he's not hit, if Ben Chirot's not throwing as many hits, it means he's kind of playing more of a like cerebral game on yeah. the ice. Um, his blocks stayed the same because I mean, someone has to block the shots at this point. Every player in our team yeah, gets injured, gone, yeah. and the blocks are basically across the board and just for you know, basically everyone's just gone down. And and again, like Ben Chirot's have as well, but it just goes to show you. Uh, again, like we're we're blocking a lot less as a team, and um, yeah, I don't know what to do about that. I'm not. I'm 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 kind of for it to be honest with you, because like if you look at you know especially uh, against Vegas, um, for the most part, these attempts at a block uh, that we're not you know we're not very good at blocking like generally as a team. Yeah, so we end up just race. yeah we end up just clogging the lanes, and, yeah. and you know I think. It'd be safe to say, like, with Vegas, probably half the goals were, were just absolutely clogged center. Oh, absolutely. Right off the face-off. Yeah, right off the face-off and, and missed the block. For some reason, five guys on the ice missed the block. Yeah. and yeah. Mainly Jeff Petrie. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, the, the main thing for me with Schrott, and this is the argument now that I was going to say, like, I, I want to see where you stand on this. It might not be an argument. It might be complete consensus. But with all of his... Um, like I said, his stats kind of coming back down to earth in his last year with the team. Um, well, last year at least on this contract. Uh, with Weber out, does he play top minutes next season? I think he does. I, you know, I, I can see him. It's gonna be interesting who he's paired with this year. I, 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 I don't see a reason to why he would not be paired with Savard. I, I think that'd be. A, but you think Savard would be the top pair? Not, oh, no, not the top pair, sorry. That's right, that's right. I thought you meant the top minutes. Like no, no, I mean, I mean the top minutes, the top oh, two okay, defensemen. Yeah. Uh, no, no, I don't think he will. I, I think, um, you know, not. it's not exactly where I'd want him to be, but I think Edmondson Petrie is going to take up that mantle, and I think it's going to be, you know, more or less like a, like a top four like we've been running. Like, I think, you know, it'll be a technicality that Edmondson Petrie are, are the 1-2-D, the but I think we're going to run that block of four, and then mm -hmm. we're going to have those experimental three in the bottom two slots there. I think that's very. What deep. do you think? I what I'm saying is I I think that basically how it's going to go. Mike, where basically I'm curious is, let's say you're playing against Toronto, and what you have to pick a pair to go up against yeah. Matthews. Well, no, then I go Savard Sharad. You would go with Savard Sharad because I, I'm also assuming that the Caulfield Suzuki lines at the our first line, and that can. You know, depending on who's playing with them, um, you know, whether it be Anderson or Toffoli, uh, you know, 
that is a bit of a defensively liable line with Caulfield there. Not that Caulfield's shown that he can play defensively, it's just he's definitely not a guy that I'm comfortable with going mm-hmm. up against Matthews and, and, and uh, uh, Marner. But, um, you know, I would rather have those two big guys because that, that savard Sherratt line, that is going to be a shutdown D-line. Like, I'm excited to see them play. I agree. I guess, yeah, then, then that's... You know, removing, let's say, I guess, like, situationally, I meant more along the lines of, uh, does Sherratt and Savard get the matchups for the most part, or does Petrie and Edmondson? And I, I think they're going to lean towards Petrie and Edmondson only because experience. I experience, and I think the skating is a little bit better on that line, while the size is relatively yeah, the Savard same. Is, is, is sneaky with the skating. He's yeah, a great he's a skater. bit more nimble than, than yeah. you always expect, but <laughs> I, I do agree. I think Sherratt and Savard are going to end up being that line that just clears the net, and they'll basically get all of the um, the cycle lines. So any team that has you know guys who just like to park themselves in front of the net versus I think Petrie and Edmondson will get the rush lines. Yeah. So you know like Petrie and Edmondson, sorry, but like they're they're getting uh, McDavid. Yeah. <laughs> and I think more of the uh, I, who who just has a stereotypical line of just parking themselves in front of the net. Um, The Islanders. You know, if you play against the Barzal line, that's a rush. But then, like, when Anders Lee comes on. Boston. Boston, too. Exactly. So I think it'll be situational, and it'll be team-dependent. But I I do agree with you. It'll just basically be a top four. There won't be a true top pair. I think that's, you know, that that showed us in the playoffs to work well. I mean, um, I'm excited to see where it goes. I, I... I am comfortable with Edmondson and Petrie in that position, just because I we, we know Edmondson can play big minutes. Yeah. You know he can he can really chew up the clock, and and Petrie can as well. Petrie's like got you know in great shape, and his fitness is always on point, and he always comes back from the summer always in shape. Like he's like, he's one of those guys that like you, know, you can tell he he doesn't let it go in the yeah. off season, and that's like a really good thing to have in, in a guy that you put this much faith in. But um, you know I, I'm more interested in in. You know the dynamic of Savard and Chirac because I can see these guys being like really, really you know together for the in, in the long term because you know both from Quebec, um, you know both play very, very similar game and both have sneaky offensive upsides. Um, you know Savard always played a very, very restrained game offensively just you know due to the nature of, of Tampa Bay Lightning. I mean like it's just you know, they don't need much from him. You know, right. and like uh, in that role, whereas in, in Montreal it's going to be a little bit more interesting because we have more of a spread the wealth kind of offense, mm-hmm. and uh, I think that lends itself more to seeing kind of like Ben Chirot did last year, where like you know every once in a while you yeah, take that shot because you know we don't have that superstar who you're just giving the puck to every time. Uh, yeah. You can take the shot, and I, I'm I'm sure Savard will have a have an up year this year. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised, and I, I think that kind of just rounds out the whole Ben Sherrod thing. I think he's getting to being this like quote unquote second pair guy who yeah. just gets a bit more minutes. Do you think than... we extend him? I you know, it depends on the young guys. If Norlander and Gooley and all these guys make big steps, um, and Romanov obviously, and even Jaden Struble and Jordan Harris, we have a lot of left hand shot guys. Ben Sherrod's going to be thirty one. The team's getting younger. Um, it's gonna be it's gonna be depending on the money he wants to make. You know, if Brett Kulak moves on, which I think this is his last contract with the team, and Sherratt's willing to take a discount, he ends up being the third pair guy. I think that's reasonable. I just I don't see him getting a new extension in terms of uh, more money or at least like equal money. I think he's gonna take a pay cut if anything, but I wouldn't be surprised if he moves on after this year. 
Yeah, it'd be too bad to see, but it's also understandable. Yeah. I, I just, I think that, you know, with a lot of our young guys, these are, you know, for the most part of, of, of the guys you listed there, I, I'd want them to have a good stint in the AHL. Absolutely. And I think that leads to a, forgot, a few uh, more Fair years. Brother yeah, Fair well. Brother as well. I, I think that's just a few more years out. I can see us, you know, maybe signing him for another year or two, and uh, I'm sure that's he wants it. to if, stay. If the so. money in the contract works, I have no problem. I just, I, it would need to be for less money, for yeah. sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, right, yeah, so, so, so you want to take number three? Yeah, that's yeah. it. Um, yeah, so for number three here, we have another defenseman, Eric Gustafson. Um, so Eric Gustafson overall stayed at a C average from last year. Uh, offensively as well, he stayed at a C. His goals went from a C- minus to a D plus. So he went from .09 goals per game last year to .03. His assists stayed at a B with .35 assists per game to .38, so not much change there. And then his points as well stayed at a C with 0.44 points per game to 0.41, so a small uh, decrease there. Defensively, where I think we're going to have most to talk about here, he goes from a C to a D plus. His hits went from a C to an F, so just not hitting, basically cut in half. 1.3 hits per game last year to 0.72. His blocks went from a B to a C plus, 0.88 to 0.72. And his takeaways stayed at a C at 0.32 to 0.24, so not much change. Eric Gustafson, I think, you know, I, I think the real Eric Gustafson we saw in the playoffs and, you know, the regular season stint he had with us as short as it was, uh, I think that was more him just, you know, getting in stride with the team and, and trying to get on the same wavelength as everyone was because he came from a very different environment. Mm-hmm. I think the playoffs we saw what we were realistically going to get from Eric Gustafson and I think at the end of the day, personally, I just didn't like it. I mean... Very small offensive upside, a huge, huge, huge defensive liability coming back. And uh, I think that really, really came to a head with Tampa. Yeah. So, there's a couple, look, there's just a couple facts of the, of the matter with Eric Gustafson. We acquired him for a seventh round pick. Why? Because he's not a useful player on the ice. Yeah. He's, he's someone who can literally put on a uniform and skate. We and took skate him for the power play. Exactly. Yeah. And again, this is where my, my criticism... His defense has never been why you have this guy on your team. Yeah. He's never going to get the defensive assignments at all. And he's never going to excel in that role. However, his offensive stats took a hit. If he and Ben Sherratt, like we were just saying, had the exact same goals per game, and while his assists stayed marginally high, he also played less games, um, I, I just... there's. There's something about this type of player, this kind of one-dimensional role player that's an issue. And, like, Eric Gustafson had one very good year in Chicago, and people keep treating it like that was the standard. That was the outlier with him. Yeah, He's not someone who can consistently bring it at the NHL level, unfortunately. He's a bottom-pair guy who needs to be in and out of the lineup. Um, the thing is, though, is that style of player doesn't fit that third-line role. That's it. like... You know, this is a guy where you have to really gamble and roll the dice because you either put him on the second pair. I mean, I'm not even going to mention first. That's out of your mind. But, you know, if, if you're a sane person and you're not putting him on the first line, you can put him on the second pair. And, you know, you can realistically, you know, roll for some upside offensively. But in third line minutes, with how little offensive upside he has and with how uh, with how bad he is defensively, you're not you're going to get both, unfortunately. You're going to get... You know, the worst of both worlds. You're going to have really bad defense and very little offensive production just because he's not on the ice enough to do it. And then you have the issue of the power play. Where, you know, 
we, we've been pulling these guys in for the last few years to fix our power play. I think we finally hit the nail on the head with Mike Hoffman. We'll get to that another time. But, you know, he we took this guy in to quarterback the power play just with, with Weber taking a bit of a back seat. And um, whenever he was on, you know, there was little glimmers of, of, of you know, skill there. But then for the most part, we just saw a lot of, like, what I saw with Jonathan Druin, where it was like he's he's fumbling with the puck, and he doesn't know where to put it, so he just whips it on net, it gets blocked, here we go again. You yeah. know, and it's like, it's almost like he was, oh, he was like, he knew it was his responsibility, he didn't know where to put the puck, so he would always just throw it on net it, with really bad decision-making, and I just didn't, I didn't like how he did it. I, I If we were going to go that route, I'd much rather Jeff Petrie taking those shots. That, well, that's it. The... the the payoff of his offense is not outweighing the, you know, terrifyingly exactly. bad defense. And defensively, just speaking, is it's his hits were brutal, his blocks were brutal, and his takeaways were never good. So, um, you know, he take he get one takeaway every three games as a defenseman. Yeah, there's people literally trying like to 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 pass the puck like through your feet at yeah. a certain point. If it hits you, you get a takeaway. So. Him not being brought back, I'm okay with. Um, yeah, I, I really, I'm, I wasn't a fan. Again, the seventh round, I'm not upset that we we took a flyer on him, but um, yeah, that was just not someone who impressed at all. It was just for me, it was like a lesser Brett Kulak, and yeah. that that's you, know, you, you don't need a lesser Brett Kulak. No. And yeah, it, it's Brett Kulak basically, but without the defensive downside. Like, Brett Kulak's way better defensively. Exactly. And they had similar offensive production. Yeah, exactly. And so, this one will probably be the fastest. Uh, Romanov. So, obviously, Romanov, it was his rookie season. So, he did not have any letter grades uh, in 2019-2020. So, I'll just I'll go through his letter grades for this year. Um, overall, it's a C. Uh, offensively, a D. So, goals, assists, and points. So, you had uh, D, D, and D-, minus, respectively. Uh, defensively a B, hits he was an A, blocks he was a B plus, and takeaways he was a D. Now, um, his goals per game was .02, so that's on pace with Ben Sherratt. His assists per game was .09, which um, well we'll get we'll get to .09 in a minute. Um, and his points per game overall was .11. Uh, hits per game 2.56 hits per game. Blocks is 1.11, and takeaways is 0.15. So the two things I want to highlight here is he was third on the team in hits, uh, hits per game, and seventh on the team in blocks. So, I mean, it's very, very early. You know, Who's just, first in hits? I'm, I'm not sure. I'd have to double check. I yeah, I can't remember. I, I, I'd have to look that up. I think it was Shea Weber. Yeah, that makes sense. It was, it's possible. I'll, uh, I'll double check that, and we'll... We'll correct it next time. But uh, just being in the top 10 on the team as a rookie in any of the stat line is important to me. And, um, you know, looking at this, you'd swear he was a defensive defenseman. But it's just also very early. The role he was in, like you said, bottom pair guy, clearly has a, a knack for the like defensive side of the ice, can really hold his own, especially for his size. But um, the offense needs to improve a little next year for me to feel more comfortable when we do have to re-sign him. Questionable decisions, you know, in the offensive and defensive zone this yes. year. I mean, that's expected of a rookie defenseman. But, you know, for the most part, I was happy that he, um, you know, it was really important for me to see this year from Romanov, you know, looking back at his time was 
how comfortable he is in very competitive situations. So mm-hmm. a lot of times you see with rookies, especially defensemen, um, you know, they back down from these, you know, bigger guys in the NHL who they recognize their names and they're also, you know, bigger in stature. Romanov would step up on these guys every single time. And, like, that's just, like, a great trait to have in a rookie defenseman. Like, you know, fear not sort of thing. Absolutely. And, and, sorry, just, just to jump in, hits per game leader for this year was Josh Anderson. Josh Anderson. And uh, second place... I can just check this very quickly. It was... Um... Anyway, I'll look it up, but go on. But yeah, I, I, I think that's you know probably the silver lining of, of his kind of tumultuous rookie season. I, you know, I think a lot of people going into this season, we even said it in the preseason, like, you know, dampen your expectations for Alexander Romanov. Yeah. You know, this is a very, very condensed and hectic schedule. He's going to be in and out of the lineup. He's not going to know his role. Um, you know, let's focus more on the, on the, on the big, big rocks here, uh, in terms of his game. And I think that those big rocks are, you know, getting, you know, clear, clear decision-making, especially in the defensive zone. Um, you know, not taking brutal turnovers in the offensive zone. Those two, I, I, I would give him, you know, personally, like a, like a C plus on, like I, you know, he definitely had some bad decisions that he made. Uh, in both zones, but I think, like, for the most part, it looked like he learned from them, because he, while he made a bunch of them, he never made the same one multiple times, and then the other one for me, again, number three, is that competitive and and, and killer instinct that he has when, um, you know, a, a significant player is coming down the wing, like and he a is, Petrangelo. like a Petrangelo, and he'll just lay him out, like, that, that's a, that's a, it's invaluable. It's invaluable, and I, I'm really happy he brought that side. And Absolutely, clearly, I, I mean, third yeah. in hitting. I mean, and geez. and I just looked it up. So he's really second because um, Josh Anderson was second actually to uh, Xavier Willette was first, okay. and yeah. Willette didn't play as many games. So really, if you want to bump it up, he's really like he's the defenseman who hit the most on the team yeah. for sure. Because um, if we're not counting Willette, and he really is like throwing a lot of hits and. You the the other thing, dude. You noticed when he would hit. Yeah, they're big. His hits. hits were big hits, and like we we just have to like remind you know everyone listening. He's a twenty year old kid who's five foot eleven and about two hundred pounds. And the, most. another thing that's important too is like, you know, as soon as I think of decision making, I think of some of the times that, you know, um, Romanov will opt for a hit for a hit rather than 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 uh, you know play the puck, which like. You know, for the most part, usually have the opposite problem. You know, like you always want your defenseman, for the most part, to play the man. But mm-hmm. sometimes there was a few examples where I remember it was like, you know, he'd pinch, and the puck would just go around him, and he'd hit the guy. But again, that's not a hit, right? right? So like, that's just a bad decision. A hit is with a, there's a turnover I, in the play. Yeah, I I have a comparable to Romanov, and it's obviously it's bold, but I think you know we we need to get away from you know the, there was a few months before he started playing where he was getting like Drew Doughty comparisons yeah. and obviously he gets a lot of Sergachev comparisons and I don't think it's fair. I, I've been really thinking about it and I think the best player in terms of where his, his peak potential lies is uh, Nicholas Cronwall. I think between the fact that Cronwall was never the guy on the on the defensive core, you had Lidstrom, you had Rafalski, but Cronwall is able to kind of like step up at certain points to play the top pair. Yeah, those, those, um, every once in a while, those just crazy... And that's the thing, the is that he plays a very physical game, but a top four guy who kind of bounced between the first and second line, I think that's a really good, um, I guess almost just like meter stick to kind of compare him yeah. to. And obviously, I'm not saying like he's going to be Nicholas Cronwall, but I think he is the 
entire potential to have a very similar career. Which, you know, begs the question, you know, if we're going with the traditional, you know, one, two, three lineup defensively, we're still missing top D. That's, know? And yeah. like, I, I just, I don't see with how many guys we have drafted that are looking like their, you know, high potential would be, you know, second pair defensemen. I don't think we're going towards that model. I think we're going towards the model that proved successful in the Stanley Cup playoffs with us where we had, you know, a big four running and then we had the bottom three coming in and closing that gap. But having a one, two, three, four that is reliable and not super expensive. Most of these guys are, you know, ranging three to five mil and we have a really solid uh, defensively responsible core. I think that's where the Montreal Canadiens are heading, and I, I, I kind of like that model more than the, uh, you know, I'll call it the uh, Chicago Blackhawks model or something like that, where you have like, right. so you got Duncan Keith there. Never mind Seabrook, whatever. But you know, then everything else starts trailing down, and then um, you know, even another good example is Columbus. You know, what I mean, like you have Wierenski and Jones playing like 33 minutes a game or something, exactly. and then like it just trails down. I don't think that's a sustainable model, and it's really, really uh, the fragility when you when it comes to injuries. There, I don't think is worth the um, you know taking on these guys like Wierenski or, or Jones just because you know we saw with Weber. I mean, like it, it, when Weber went down a few years ago, basically our defensive core was just gutted. You, you know? didn't like Jordy Ben on the first pair. No, I didn't like Jordy <laughs> Ben on the first pair. Um, I remember. I don't think we've spoken in the podcast more about this, but Jesse and I went to a Dallas Stars game oh, one time, God. and I think we saw the worst sequence of Jordy Ben's like career, in, including like Jordy Ben like is minor. the worst hockey shift I've ever seen. Yeah, it, it was. Do you want to just brutal. like paint this picture? Do you want to? <laughs> yeah, you can jump in. Okay, so we're playing. Like you was, said, it was, was against his brother. It was no, it wasn't. It was against Sagan. Sagan. But so we we bought tickets to the first game that Alexander Romanov, uh, Romanov, uh, Radulov came back, and so. What we see is Sagan goes into the corner with Jordy Ben and absolutely flattens him. That's the first thing. <laughs> Jordy Ben's a lot bigger than Sagan, and and Sagan puts him on his ass. Yeah, Ben's on his ass. His in, helmet's like half off. Yeah. In response, he grabs Tyler Sagan's ankle and holds on for dear life while Sagan tries to skate away. And Jordy Ben tries. This is on the penalty kill, yeah. and tries to basically just just hold on to these this guy's feet till he doesn't look completely left behind in the play. Um, eventually kind of like staggers to his feet and the puck manages to find its way right to him and because the penalty killed Jordy Ben without hesitation fires it down the ice the only thing is he ends up almost taking off Claude Julien yeah, yeah almost takes off Claude Julien's head in the process because yeah. he shoots it right into oh, the yeah, bench you missed that you missed a pivotal point though in holding on to Sagan's legs he takes a penalty oh yes I that's sorry I thought yeah so I was he goes in the corner with Sagan of holding yeah. Sagan reverse hits him falls on his ass like to the point where his helm his, his, his like his buckets touching the ice and his head's off the ice mm. okay he stumbles to his feet like almost cross-eyed, can't get up, holds on to Sagan's leg. The ref's right next to him, lifts his hand up, the puck coughs out. Ben takes it, not aware he has a penalty, whips it down the ice and like misses Claude Julien by like a centimeter and, and, and Claude's looking at him with like wide eyes and like tight lips. Like yeah, you basically, yeah, and just basically <laughs> like you get paid 
a million dollars to do this. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm looking at Carrie Price's look of despair, and I'm just like, oh my god. Well, yeah, I just, I, I couldn't imagine knowing that was your, your top guy. Top, at yeah, that this is the guy defending you for roughly 24 minutes a game. It's, yeah. That's rough. So, yeah. I, those, I, are the, those were the uh, the dark ages. Yeah, we don't we don't talk about those years so much. The scariest part of the Jordan We got Jordan Pat Kniemi out of it. <laughs> the, yeah, we're going to get to that soon, that's guys. That's going to be a podcast really, soon, yeah. yeah. This is going to be like, oh, that, that, that'll be like an hour and a half one. But anyway, with, with Jordy Ben, the, the thing that scared me most with Jordy Ben is when we started to, to get used to him and we started to be like, you know what? He's not that bad. Yeah, justifying him being on the first chair. <laughs> He's rough. Yeah. <laughs> Good Canadian rough defenseman. But yeah. anyway, so Romanov overall, I think I would say um, if he kept his offense a little bit higher, I really do think he would have at least been in... in a higher position for Calder voting. I really do. Yeah. Um, I, I don't mean, think he, he would have... top five this year, right? At the beginning of the year, Dave. Oh, at the beginning end, of the year. He didn't end up be breaching the top 20 by the end of the year. Yeah. Oh, no, I can't believe um, that. Because at the beginning, he got he got basically his all his goals and half his assists before February 10th. Year. That's the thing. He had a very big boom at the beginning offensively. Yeah. But overall, I think this is someone... You know, I just looked very quickly. For... I just going with my Cronwell thing. Cronwell put up... Um, um, I think, uh, just doing the quick math in my head here, about, like, double the points he put up in the same amount of time as a rookie. So, like, um, in 47 games, he had, how many points here? One moment. Yeah, he put up point, uh, .3 points per game in his first 50-something games. Uh, Romanov put up point eleven. So, the thing is, I'm sure, in terms of, like, defensive uh physicality this is when you know detroit was at their peak so it just it's a little different i'm sure but uh you know i think it's some something to strive for if, if romanov doubles his point production next year i think it'll be a sign that he's kind of settling in yeah without costing him defensively so um you know we'll just we'll go into the last guy because there's other things to talk about too i just I want to get into it in a minute. But so the last player on today's report card is Eric Stahl. So we're now out of the C uh, C grades. Uh, Eric Stahl is a C minus. Um, last coming off of a C plus down to a C minus specifically, and this is basically from his offense dropping off. So Eric Stahl goes from an A to a C offensively. Um, goals, assists, and points all dropping from A's down to C plus C and D plus respectively. So goals dropping from 0.29 to 0.09, assists from 0.42 to 0.15, and points from 0.71 down to 0.25. Yeah, so we, we have the per game stats, so you can't like look at the letter grade and be like, oh, well, he was on Buffalo last year. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, we have the, the... Oh, he wasn't. It was Minnesota. Minnesota, I mean, yeah. yeah. Which is like not a bad team, but like, you know, for the most part... You know, actually, that would explain it then, yeah. because he played on Buffalo for the majority of this year, yeah. and like that could have really tanked his stats. It did. It well, I mean, because he wasn't he wasn't with us for a very long time. No, he wasn't, and he obviously had a very good playoff. It was just you know the, there there wasn't the offense just wasn't there. This so time. like it could be that Buffalo stifled them. Yeah, and I no I agree. Know. I think yeah. they did. Um, but defensively too, he increased from a D to a D plus. His hits stayed at an F, point uh, thirty six, increasing to a point forty three. His blocks, D to a D, um, 0.33 down to 0.28. And his takeaways actually go from a C plus to a B, 0.38 down to a 0.32, but increasing on the team for the same inflation reasons as we discussed before. But, um, you know, his defense 
got a little bit better, and his offense just dropped off. I mean, he's 37 years old. He's going to slow down eventually. I, I think, like, you know, the, it's reasonable. And also the, his role on the team. You go from Minnesota, where he's the first line yeah. center. Um, two years later, he's on the Montreal Canadiens playing fourth line. He had a much better time on our fourth line than Buffalo's second line. Yeah. So I just think overall, you know, Eric Stahl, I don't, I really don't have much to say about him other than like, it's just, he's at the tail end of his career. Don't expect 0.71 points per game from yeah. a guy who isn't there anymore. Yeah. I, but you want to know what though? Like I, I would be, I would be leaning towards bringing him back just with our center situation here. I mean, like I, I, you know, he definitely wanted to return. He wants mm. to return, and like that's what he was saying with with the media and stuff like that. He loved the energy here, and he loves like the direction the team's going. You know, I think we parted ways with him uh, during a time where our center situation was a lot better. Yeah, and I think you know, even if you know we go get a like a Dvorak or or you know we offer Sheeta Pedersen or we get an Eichel, I think we need like an older centerman there to kind of dampen that. I, I'm I'm worried about a bit of hostility between the young guys, just in terms of like, you know, who's who's the big dog. Yeah. And I think a it's guy Suzuki. like yeah, it's Suzuki. <laughs> well, it might be Eichel. Yeah, exactly. But the thing is, though, is I I'm worried that if we don't have a vet there to to look up to and really like keep the guys in line, uh, I I worry about that stuff a little bit. And it, it's not Cedric Paquette, obviously. I mean, another guy who's just not there. And um. You know, I, I the think the only problem is Peckett's twenty six. That's my point. He's not there. <laughs> he's not that age. Like he's not. He's not at that point in his career where he can look down at the guys and be like, "Listen, I'd be in a near situation." Not that Cedric Paquette was ever good, yeah. but my point is, is that you know Eric Stahl has that you know Hall of Fame energy to him, where you know the guys won't be bickering under him because you know he's still the big dog. In yeah, terms they're of not the gonna. No, the, I Cedric Paquette is not giving Eric Stahl any. No, no, to exactly. Him. So I just think like you know if we got like a. You know, a Dvorak or, you know, just insert young center X yeah. with Suzuki and Evans. I think we need that veteran centerman, and I'm, I'm surprised we, we didn't offer him another one-year deal. I agree, and you know what? He hasn't signed yet, so there's there's always the possibility of a league minimum, just easy thing. Yeah. Um, I do want to just mention this, just because that does wrap up the report cards for today, but um, we just got a text in from a fan. For those who uh, know the show, it's uh, Matthew once again. Uh, we got to have him on, sh- on the show yeah, one day. But um, just because we touched on the Cod Kinyemi situation, um, Pierre, uh, Pierre Oud is reporting that uh, if KK doesn't get matched, that the Canadians and Jonathan Druin have come to an understanding that he's going to be playing center. Oh, boy. So, you know, talking about the dark days, um, Jonathan Druin has just signed on allegedly to play center for the Montreal Canadiens. So good. That's not good news. We will have basically I think the way we're gonna do the Kotkaniemi podcast because yeah, it's gonna take a long it's gonna be long, but I think it's gonna be fun is that um I think we should do uh before we find their answer out, uh whether or not the Canadians are gonna be matching the offer sheet. So we'll just kind of introduce what happened and then also look at basically if the Canadians match and if they don't match and what are their options yeah. and basically most realistic to least realistic. Yeah. Um, I think we'll realistically have that podcast out before our last player report card. I think this will yeah. be a decently large week. I think we'll have both those out this week. Yeah. Um, just with the nature of how quickly these things move, and I, you know, I think we're we're at the point where we're you know we're nearing the end of well, we are at the end of August, so yeah. it's, we're gonna get these out before September comes around and. Um, you know, it, it's going to be interesting with Cockney because this does, again, throw us into a, 
really uncertain future at the center position. I mean, we have a few guys like, you know, Paling, who, you know, we're, we're, is kind of a question mark. You know, I'd even throw Jake Evans in there. Like, I don't know where this guy, like, I know he can play in the NHL. I just don't know if this guy will ever, you know, breach the top six or if he's going to be a perpetual, you know, 4C on a good team, 3C on a bad team. Which or... I lean to the, the latter more no, than me the former. And the, my only ever criticism of Jake Evans, because I do like him, is, you know, he's 25, 26 years old, and he's had three bad concussions. Mm-hmm. And so, as we saw with guys like Andrew Shaw, like, the, those careers don't last. Yeah, We are looking at someone who could very much not make it into the NHL by his 30s. And so... It's it's also something to consider. Yeah, you me, can't keep getting blown up like that, like he did in the playoffs, yeah. and be okay. Yeah, let me tell you what though: the future does not involve Jonathan Drew at center. I'll tell you that because uh, you right, know you really looked into your crystal ball on that. God, one. his his the, the the liability he is defensively. Yeah. At a center position with the with the way this team plays, oh boy. And I, I understand it would be think about probably we're a, a second we're a, line position. We're a burst offense. Yeah. Okay. He's not going to get back. No, no chance. Mm-hmm. I, I, I had more. I have more faith in him playing center with how he played under Claude Julien, with with how fast our offense is now. No chance this guy is going to be able to play that position. Well, I, that that's just it. So I mean, again, we'll, we'll save that for the uh, the. We're gonna have some podcast. really bad fucking face off this year. Yeah, we we're not gonna win many. <laughs> but yeah, so other than that, uh, there is one more. Uh, podcast coming out like you said this week uh for the report cards it'll be the bottom five players um you know i'm not even gonna beat around the bush with these guys it's basically just gonna be kind of either the guys who are in and out of the lineup or just the worst players on the team so we're talking like kulak caulfield Willette, maryland frolik um i'm honestly debating even doing it because like half those guys didn't play. Yeah, I think so. just for consistency, we'll do it. Yeah, it'll be. But quick. it might be yeah. a shorter version of it. Other than that, uh, I really look forward to this Kotkaniemi podcast because it's yeah. uh, it's a whole thing. So yeah, keep your you know keep your uh, make sure that you have notifications on and stuff like that for yeah. Instagram and keep checking your podcast app because you know hockey season is literally around the corner. We're weeks yeah. away. We also have a uh, hidden episode that we just found in our archives that's going to be coming out. So it's going to be very random, but. You're just going to be getting blown up by our account this yeah, week. Just so. saying, you know, August obviously is always a lull for hockey. I mean, yeah. this year is a bit of a different story with all the drama going around. But, um, you know, we're like you know, we're like three weeks out from It's from insane how, I mean, how early it's coming. We have a lot of work to do on this team. Like, this is a lot of stuff that I thought was going to get done about a month ago. Yeah. And uh, it's it's very slow moving. I'm starting to be a little bit worried with after Mark Bergeron's comments about it being his last year. If he's very, like... Uh, Let's say fair, you know. Yeah. Like I, I hope, um, I hope we're not Basically just gonna just making it the next guy's problem. Making it the next guy's problem, and like uh, Jonathan Druin centered Montreal Canadiens really sounds like a next guy's problem. Yeah, because that's when he came in. Yeah. So like, think about it, that was yeah. his first kind of. Uh, this is my problem. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so we will catch you guys on the next one, and see you soon. Thank you for listening to the Habs Puck Drop podcast. You can email us your thoughts, questions, and suggestions through our email at habspuckdrop at gmail.com or direct message us on Instagram at habspuckdrop. We'll see you next time.